Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitsky. I'm the founder and president of ABS Kids. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. This week, we welcome board-certified behavior analyst, CEO, and co-founder of IGCN Healthcare Partners, and National University Professor Cameron Nesbitt to the podcast to talk to us about what goes into becoming a board-certified behavior analyst. I hope this episode is helpful to parents of kiddos on the spectrum that are getting introduced to their treatment team, as well as helpful for individuals thinking about joining the field of applied behavior analysis. Cameron, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's my pleasure. And you're right in the thick of it. I mean, you are both a professor and running a practice at the same time. So you're seeing the lens from all over. But let's start at the beginning. What brought you into, I guess, both the field of behavior anal uh, analysis, but also wanting to teach others? You know, early on in my career, I actually started doing uh, behavior therapy work out of high school. And even during high school with the volunteer work requirements, I volunteered in a lot of special education classrooms and really was exposed to the clients that, you know, need services and, and have certain disabilities that, you know, needed support in school settings. And it really started off as me just enjoying helping others and really seeing the work that I was doing without really knowing what I was doing other than being kind and having no official training. And I actually had some success with it. And after I graduated high school, I thought, you know what, that is something that I would like to explore more as I, you know, went through college and kind of saw what the educational requirements would be and what the field was all about, as I really knew nothing other than, hey, I'm volunteering uh, with individuals with disabilities, and I enjoyed the helping component of it. Now, you, you mentioned high school, and I know that there's a lot of behavior technicians that are out there, um, whether it's high school, college, that are out there exploring the field. But it typically takes a wow moment to know this is what I want to make a career. It's not just a job anymore. It's now my career. I love this. I see something. I connect somewhere. Do you have a? Do you have that wow moment? Do you have that time where it was like, ding, ding, ding? This is where I want to go. Yeah, ab absolutely. So within that volunteer work, I really enjoyed working with a particular student, and I I know that there were trained professionals trained staff in the classroom that really just couldn't get through to the student. And there were a lot of challenges. And, you know, utilizing my my sports background, I played baseball my whole my whole life, pretty much played in high school, played a little in college and uh, utilizing the athletic components and things I've learned through sports and being a team player and all of those important qualities. I really connected with this with this particular student and uh, we made a lot of progress. Now that I look back, it's hard to talk about it because I have the training and the skill set now and looking back to when I didn't even know what I was doing other than just being kind. But the student went from really being non-compliant and not enjoying school to coming to school every day and 
uh, looking forward to seeing me. The teachers would say, oh, he's so excited. When are you going to come back and volunteer? And I didn't know what I was doing other than being kind and trying to make a difference. And from there on, I said, you know what? If baseball doesn't work out for me, I know what I want to do. And I needed to research more into what this profession was about and how I could you know, proceed with that further. It's funny is that in a lot of careers, you look at it and it's a it's a mentor who guided you. It's somebody uh, who taught you the field. But in our field, more often than not, I feel like it's those wild moments. I think it is what you just said. I, I felt that commitment to serve. I saw what I could do. Now I'm going to be committed and then maybe you find the mentor, but that gets you going. You had, you had mentioned, though, is that you, and I think a couple times now, is that when you entered into the field of uh, behavior analytics, is that you didn't necessarily know all it had to do. You didn't know the complete science. If, if you were to talk to the, uh, the younger That's version younger of version. Cameron, what, what would you be telling them? Why, what is behavior analysis, and, and how do you put that into perspective? Because I would imagine you have to give that have that conversation with a lot of your young employees. Absolutely. And I think first and foremost, it's important to recognize and have others understand that this is a profession. There are very highly established standards and um, educational requirements in order to be in this field and, and work with individuals um, with disabilities. So although you know there are a lot of people in the field that are younger, um, this is a growing profession, there are very rigorous standards that you know the board has outlined to ensure that there's a the high level of quality across the board in the field. So looking back, telling my younger self, I would probably say, you know, it, this looks fairly simple, but there's a lot more that is going to come in the future, and it's going to take time and a lot of hard work. And you know, you don't know it yet, but this is going to be the most rewarding thing that you're ever going to do in your life, getting to this field. So. Yeah. And that first step of the field might be that giant step of just trusting the fact that I can work with children or young adults that that require some additional support using applied behavior analysis. But to take that next step, it requires that goal of of being more of the leader of a program, being able to take all that data and evaluate and come up with intervention, which is a big challenge to take on because there's so much that goes into it. So just to kind of put things into perspective and maybe allow our audience to understand what that rigorous process looks like, how, I mean, how much effort, what is somebody having to do to walk that path to become a behavior analyst right now? Yeah, so right now we're actually in the middle of an interesting time because the the board, the Behavior Analyst Certification Board responsible for um, you know, certifying behavior analysts and registered behavior technicians is now transitioning over to the fifth edition task list from the fourth edition task list, which is going to be effective January 1st, 2022. And the reason that that is really important is because there are actually increased and more rigorous requirements that are now going to be in effect to uh, further that goal of ensuring high, the highest quality services and high quality services are being you know, provided to the populations that we serve. So in addition to the new requirements that are being uh, established, established and implemented, we have an educational requirement, which is a minimum of a master's degree that the board has set out uh, as a requirement, as well as supervised field work hours, which 
is being again increased from 1500 to 2000 hours. Uh, so it's very rigorous. It's not something that you can just walk into and get in a few months. It's a minimum of at least a two, two year process to even be able to probably sit for the exam, which is not easy as the pass rate is probably about 60 something percent now, but the board makes it very imperative that the people who are prepared and pass the exam um, have the training and educational requirement that they need to be successful in the field um, as they further on in their practice. Which makes 100% sense. I mean, you are putting vulnerable populations um, out there with a clinician. And uh, whether it's providing social skills or whether it's providing communication or adaptive living skills, um, all of those is that you're relying on a very competent clinician to guide that practice. Um, and before we go into the details of, you know, what sort of things are being taught in these university programs to really help the families understand all that, um, what I'd like to do is take a step back and just say, okay, I remember back when I was doing a lot of active practice myself where I was dressing up as Wizard of Oz characters in order to, to get a child to be able to engage with me in reciprocal conversation where they'll talk back and forth with me. I mean, I see that ABA oftentimes requires as much creativity and fun as it does the science, the data, the implementation of practice. It, do university programs focus on that connection with a patient as well as the science behind it or is there is there a gap that still needs to be filled i i think that definitely in in more recent years that has become an increased uh topic of conversation and you know i always like to say you never want to be a, a walking cooper book and for those you know that are listening uh, the cooper book is you know considered the main or if not one of the main books that every behavior analyst knows and has in their library so to kind of bridge that gap it's really important to remember the humanistic aspect of the services that, hey, you don't want to just go in and only talk about, about data and, and the numbers because that can be a little off-putting and, you know, it can create a disconnect between us and the families we work with. So as far as you, at the university level, I know that there are some required readings and some expanded uh, content that courses are covering that discuss the importance of building those personal connections and being able to have that creativity to connect with clients, again, on a humanistic level and not, you know, isolate yourself as coming in simply with just scientific information and data, because while that is important and it's critical, it's very different than what a lot of other fields and practices do. And that can be uh, a little intimidating for families as well. So being creative uh, really communicating with the families, understanding what their needs are and what the client's needs are can help uh, help that go a long way. But the I do think the educational system uh, has made a lot of progress there, um, but that's still something that could be explored even further. I think it's critical to do so. Yeah. Have you seen that in your practice? I mean, a lot of times, and I've seen it, where I feel like my coaching isn't necessarily going to be on the science of the work. I feel like the science of the work is really well taught in the program. And that's where I think that fieldwork supervision is that that 2000 hours that you're talking about is so valuable is 
how do you actually take the science and make it digestible? <laughs> how do you make it so that you're actually connecting with us? Have you had those conversations with anybody that that you're providing that tutelage to as as far as, hey, you know, this situation was hard, but yeah. you can make it easier. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that uh, most people laugh, you know, when I when I share stories of experiences and, and being in the field, but it is absolutely critical to ensure that uh, you are basically not only ex explaining everything in humanistic terms and layman's terms where people can understand, um, but also making sure that the families are an active participant in those conversations where we're not just coming in and saying, you're going to do this, this, and this. It has to be, what are things you want to prioritize? What are some goals that are important to you? And how can we work together in a collaborative format to make sure we meet those goals. So in, in practice, it uh, happens a lot where especially new BCBAs who, yes, they have to meet those requirements of 1,500 hours, but they come in and, you know, wearing the fancy clothes and uh, you have the laptop and you sit in the back of the room and you're typing on the computer and you're not really talking a lot and you're just observing. Yes, those are all important components of the job, but parents can look at that and, and say, parents have said to me, what was wrong with that person? Were they okay? They didn't talk. They just sat there. So that can really create a, a gap and a wedge early on in services, which can be hard to overcome. So you want to make sure everyone feels comfortable and, and keep in mind that there's still, as you mentioned, the importance of the data and the scientific component, but really making sure to talk to staff and talk to the people that we're supervising and reminding them, hey, these are human uh, humanistic components as well that are just as critical, if not even more so, than going in and being able to explain ABA inside and out. You have to be able to connect in a proper way. Uh, I'm glad you say that. I mean, I, in order for trust to be built, you have to have a connection. Is that one part of trust might be, I feel somebody's competent. The other part of trust is this person cares. And those two things have to match up. Um, now, I, I, I want to switch gears just a little bit because uh, National University was probably one of the first fully online platforms to be able to provide this information, to be able to help people to get their degree and behavior analysis. And what I'd be curious about in that is how important it is that the right partner is found for National to be able to help complement that, that coursework. And if that is something that uh, somebody should be looking at when they're looking at these programs is, hey, you know what, I wanna get that academic opportunity from National, it's flexible, it provides me a very good foundation for all the curriculum, but I need to make sure that I find the right organization as a partner. Does National help to match people up? Yeah, so National University has um, several partnerships with various ABA companies, um, in, including mine, and I think that the importance of that is not only when you sign up for, for a program, you want to make sure that the program itself is going to give you uh, the rigor that you're hoping for in terms of your educational experience, but also the importance of connecting you with someone who can give you those supervision hours and you can get that training you need. So there are various programs um, and various companies that do have partnerships. And even you know if there aren't specific things available to certain people, whether in they're in remote areas, you know, since it is a nationwide program now, um, with you may have a professor like myself who's in LA and a student in Hawaii or a student in uh, Vancouver. So 
it may be difficult to make those kinds of uh, matches. However, there's so many instructors also that have connections and the field itself, um, it's a small field overall. So there's always uh, a way to connect people with the resources they need. And I think National does a great job of making those efforts. Yeah, interestingly, is that uh, ABS, we've, we, we have multiple state sites and we found that same thing that you're describing. And I've always found it really interesting to, to kind of bring back just some of the things that were learned on case studies of specific cases and tying it back into the coursework because you know where that person is in their program. You know how far they've gone. So you can tie them directly to how does that correlate to what you're learning right now? And it makes it so much more of an active learning process. Um, and, and when that learning is going on, and you've worked really hard at being able to prepare people on their curriculum, but it sounds like the field work side as well, um, it's still like detective work. I mean, it, it's a very layman way to look at behavior analysis is that you're looking at every little piece, coming up with a plan, evaluating that plan, following the data to see if that is actually the variable that's being changed. Is is this something that uh, that you found is an in, innate sort of skill of behavior analysts, or is it something that can be learned over time? I mean, or is this just an interest that people have that like they love the puzzle? I think it could be a, a little bit of a combination of everything, and it really depends on the individual. Um, certain people, they'll ask me in in my classes. They'll bring up scenarios. They'll they'll bring up questions, and other people I think don't think about it at all. It really just depends. Uh, but I definitely make a point in you know the courses that I teach to really uh, ensure that that is a point that comes across to the students where they understand, look, the field is always changing, the field is developing, especially with the pandemic and everyone switched over to telehealth. That was a whole new thing that no one ever thought about uh, in the sense of ABA was going to be doing that anytime soon. I mean, other professions and practitioners, dermatologists, doctors, you can make telemedicine appointments, but to be able to actually work with a client and do a one-to-one -one therapy session on Zoom uh, is something that everyone had to adapt to really quickly. So I think the field has demonstrated that it can do a great job in adapting to whatever it needs to, and including students. I think we as uh, you know BCBAs and, and supervisors, and especially instructors, need to do a, a, a really good job at hammering home those points um, of making sure that People are aware that the field is changing and we need to be open to having those uh, those possibilities in mind. With the broadness of the field in general, I mean, we're talking about needing to have such a diverse knowledge set. And it's nearly impossible for one BCBA to carry all that knowledge with them. And even as experienced BCBAs is that we often have to rely on friends. We have to rely on our, our network of colleagues that we've built over time. What, what do you or how do you encourage those those newly graduated BCBAs coming out of the national program um, to evaluate their skill sets, to know how to be able to utilize and understand how to make the most out of their knowledge with their caseloads? Um, what's your suggestion to them? So one of my main uh, kind of points that I, that I always uh, convey to new BCBAs and new people who are entering the field in a supervisory capacity is you never want to get what I kind of made up and called new supervisor-itis. So you never want to come out and, and feel like, look, I passed the BCB exam. I went through my hours. I know everything there is that I need to know. And I'm, you know, it, I'm on top of the world and no one can really tell me what to do anymore. I tell other people. 
And it's tough because you have people who have this newfound quote unquote power and now families are going to be going to them for advice. And it's a big role. You have people that are vulnerable and their children really need support. And you know they're going to be coming to you and asking questions and asking you really serious you know, decisions that need to be made on a day-to-day basis. So in order to kind of bridge that gap, I make sure that people understand they have to always communicate and they have to make sure that they can always understand that someone is there for them and that there's always more to learn, which is why the board has the continuing education unit requirements every few years and we have to attend conferences because in this field, you're never uh, done with learning. There's always more learning. There's always new research being done. So really just from an early early stage priming those new supervisors even before they pass the exam and, and saying, look, there's always more to learn and you need to stay hungry. You need to stay motivated. And I kind of use my baseball analogies uh, often when I say, hey, a team just won the World Series. You got to win it again next year. You know, you can't just be satisf- satisfied with one, one win. So same thing with the field. You want to always be hungry, keep wanting to learn more. And it's really a mentality thing at that point that we have to kind of prime our our, uh, our new future BCBAs for um, as that time comes in their careers. Yeah, I think uh, I think tackling these new challenges and being able to continue to broaden your knowledge base is important. But I really like what you said about, you know, it's it's that hunger to continue to educate oneself. I when I look at parents and even with colleagues, the one who who has the answer for everything is the one that I might question everything with. It's it's one of those things where you might need to have a network of of treatment providers that are feeling open to chat with each other and to understand that, you know, it might take me three days longer, but I'm going to get to the right answer. Let me discuss this with my colleagues. And I think that's a good thing for parents to hear, too, is, you know, this is a this is a challenge. Let me go back and bring it back to my team or my mentor or whoever it is so that we can come with the right decision. And sometimes that promotes more of that confidence and that trust, which you need. Um, one of the things, and, and I'm a I'm a big believer in what National has been able to provide out there, but it's also one of the fastest growing um, online universe, especially in the behavior analytic field. Um, this is something where we still haven't met the need uh, in the community for provider access. Uh, National seems to be stepping it up as far as being able to provide that. Are there new things on the horizon that you see that might be coming with National in order to enable more success? Um, I know that they used to have a lot more in-person classrooms. Is that, um, have have you seen more opportunity with utilizing, like you said, telehealth platform for teleteaching? Um, Is there something different? Yeah, so now, um, currently, due to the pandemic, a lot of the on-site instruction has shifted to online and through Zoom and uh, another platform that National uses known as Blackboard uh, Collaborate. So that's an online learning method. And the benefit to, I I think, to going online is that National now has become a, a nationwide program, whereas before it was, you know, centralized more in uh, San Diego, Los Angeles area. So with it being national, because of the need, uh, that has really helped kind of bridge that gap where, as I mentioned, I could have a student in my class who is in uh, is in Canada or is in uh, Florida, and I'm in LA, and we have 
you know, a lot more opportunities now to provide the education and the learning needed to those who want to become BCBAs, especially in remote areas where there may not be an on-site program for somebody who wants to pursue uh, their BCBA certification. So the fact that National has now gone nationwide uh, within the U.S. has been really wonderful in the sense that it provides more access to those wanting to pursue, um, you know, their BCBA and, and move up in the ABA field, which in turn will result in more service providers for the growing need and the demand that has uh, continued to increase dramatically and, and very quickly as time has gone on for gone on for our services. Yeah, and, and I don't I don't uh, pretend to understand all the missions and values of National, but one that I could obviously pinpoint is the fact that by doing that, you are you are providing community service. You're helping to to really enhance the underserved communities. You're creating some equity to care. So that in whether it's socioeconomic areas, whether it's in geographic areas, whether it's in culturally diverse areas, is that now more people have a chance to enter the field to be able to provide that service. And now there's not those grand gaps. So I'm I'm appreciative of the fact that it is out there and that that opportunity remains there. Where, where can people find more information about National if this is a path they want to do or for parents that really want to understand what it is that my child's therapist is learning and the rigor of their program? Yeah, so uh, going to nationaluniversity.com, I believe it's nu.edu, and there are specific courses um, and programs that are offered and specific course information on those programs. I know the master's degree in applied behavior analysis, there is a specific link to the program itself. It's a total of 10 courses. It's over a span of about, I wanna say 18, uh, 18 or 20 months. So it's almost a two-year program, and it is very rigorous. There's a lot of uh, educational components that have now been updated to meet the standards for the fifth edition task list, as I was mentioning earlier, which is also uh, now required to have a 45-hour um, increase in the educational component as well. So prior with the fourth edition task list, National was complying with those requirements. Now with the fifth edition, uh, the program is even more rigorous and uh, it's shown a lot of success since its new implementation. Yeah, we've seen the success at ABS Kids is that, I mean, I think we have over 150 enrollees that we're paying for through that program right now. And the pass rates are great. And what I actually appreciate even more is that the parental surveys on the quality of care is great. So what you're doing at National is that I'm, I'm a believer in the program that you guys have created, and I, I'm very appreciative of it. And Cameron, I'm appreciative of your time today and just and being able to share information to us. And I, I know that you have a practice yourself. Is there anything about your practice that, that you want to let people know? Because uh, obviously you're out there training your, your uh, clinicians to be wonderful practitioners. And I want to make sure that there's a way to be able to reach you in those areas? Oh, th thank you. Well, I think that most importantly, um, kind of as we touched on earlier today, it is absolutely critical to ensure that, you know, our providers and the people that we have just going into the field, um, speaking not only for my practice, but uh, you know, as an instructor and someone who's, you know, does supervision hours for future BCBAs is we need to have that humanistic component. And I think the field, you know, has uh, gotten, unfortunately, somewhat of a, a reputation in, in certain areas as far as total focus on, on just data and science. And people feel 
that ABA is, you know, only limited to those things. And we really need to do a better job, I think, as a field of remembering that we are a, a human services provider and we need to make sure that those humanistic components and the awareness of also cultural components and cultural sensitivity to the different families we work with, the different interests that, you know, their kids have and, and certain uh, other aspects that we may not normally think about um, are, are, you know, are definitely um, factored into consideration. So I know, you know, for our practice, we make sure our staff have cultural uh, competency training and really hammer home a lot of the things that you asked, which I'm sure you guys do at ABS Kids as well. So uh, it's it's just really nice to have a conversation um, with someone who, you know, thinks thinks along those lines and it just shows the field is heading in the right direction. So uh, I, I really enjoyed, um, you know, my time as well. Thank you for, for everything. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting abskids.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week. Thank you.